Anyway, it's good to see you this morning. Good to be with you and uh, pray that God blesses you this week as He has. We do live in a blessed country. We live in a blessed community here. And God has richly poured out His grace on us in many, many ways. And we do need to stop and give thanks to Him. And uh, we're, we're so thankful this morning to be able to do certain things David, I think we have a video back there of Jim Huff and Pat, and we want to give thanks for people in our congregation, and uh, it's on the T-Drive. I'll let you find it. Uh, You can just pull it up there, and we're going to show you that video at the end of the service, okay? But uh, I want to prepare your heart for that because it's something we can give lots of thanks for. I hope you've seen it, but if you haven't, you're going to this morning. Anyway, turn in God's Word, if you would, to Jonah chapter 4, because we're going to look at something. We oftentimes learn lessons uh, from negative examples. And, you know, I don't know about you, when I took a test, I oftentimes learned more on what I missed than what I got right, because somehow if I got something right, I just bypassed it and went right on. But if I missed it, I would always stop and go back and ask the question, why did I miss that? And look out for the answer. Well, thankfully, God's Word this morning gives us pictures that remind us not only of who God is, but they oftentimes remind us of who we are. And we've been in a series on the book of Jonah. And this morning, I want to look and show you how God deals with an unthankful servant. Now, Jonah is an interesting character if you ever do a study on him. He is uh, one of the most uncompassionate, hard-headed, stubborn servants of God you'll meet in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, Michelangelo, when he painted the famous painting up on top of the Sistine Chapel, put Jonah's face prominent in the front. Why do you think he did that? Well, I'll come back to that in just a moment, but we want to look quickly at how God deals with an unthankful servant. But maybe we won't because my slide is not advancing. So, David, if you can help me advance my slide. There we go. We're going to look at three lessons that God taught Jonah this, this morning. Three lessons he taught him about his relationship with himself. And I put it on the screen for you. I shouldn't have, but I did. Uh, here it is. I always want you to bring your Bible. But uh, some don't, so we don't fuss at anybody anymore, right? We're just glad you're here. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. What did? Well, if you were here last week, Nineveh repented. And Jonah got mad. He preached an eight-word sermon, and the people repented in sackcloth and ashes from the king to the plowman. And Jonah went over, and he was furious. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, I knew you would forgive them and not judge them. You wouldn't send them to the lake of fire. David, my, my, uh, it is being so stubborn this morning. Okay, I, I buried it in T-Drive, sorry. I'm going to go on reading here. Hopefully it'll advance, but if it doesn't, then uh, we'll have to go on. Verse 3, 
The text says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now can you imagine getting to that place? You saw someone change, their life change, and you said, I am so angry that God changed someone else's life, I'd just as soon die as I would see him bless them. I mean, this is the picture, folks, that you need to get here. I would just as soon die as I would see them get their heart right with God. And now the Lord, as all good counselors do, did not make a statement. He asked a question. By the way, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about the wise counselor is able to draw way down from the depths of the human heart with just the right question. And God does that. God asks him a question, just a few words in Hebrew, several in English, and he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? I mean, is your anger really helping you, Jonah? You know, now, let's just pause for a minute. We all sometimes feel like we have the right to be angry, and you know, and there are certain things that we do have the right to be angry over. There is righteous anger. But in this instance, Jonah had no right to be angry. He should have been rejoicing and thankful that God had intervened in the lives of other people. But Jonah just held his fist and he clenched and he furious. And God said, do you have a right to be angry? He gave him a lesson in counseling. Well, there's a second lesson he gave him, and that was to show him what it was like in this complaining ministry that he was in to understand the lesson in personal comfort. By the way, in Thanksgiving, when we pass a microphone around, you know, I've been in several churches and heard this many times, a lot of times people will thank God for their salvation, but they oftentimes thank God for personal comfort. And at one time in my life, I would, I would think, now that's not very spiritual to thank God for comfort. Uh, we should be thanking Him for the other things. But you know what? Let me, can I share something with you? If you are not personally comfortable in life, it is often very difficult to give thanks. Did you know that? If you were laying in a bed this morning with a stomach virus and you were just as sick as you could be to your stomach, it's hard to stand up and say, Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. Do you believe me? Or, now, listen, if we're going to be transparent and open here, we've got to be real with each other, right? When we are physically and, and emotionally down, it is hard to give thanks. We can work ourselves in such a, what I call the funk, that we don't want to be thankful. And so what God was going to do here was teach Jonah a lesson on personal comfort. And he's going to do a wonderful thing. He's going to give him an air conditioner in the middle of the desert. Now watch what happens. So Jonah here pouts his way all the way to the east side of the city. He went out to the city and sat to the east side and made a booth for himself there. By the way, Mosul over in Baghdad, if you go over just a little bit, that's right where Nineveh was, a hot desert. Some of you may have been there. I mean, just a hot, wretched place. Jonah goes out and sits and takes him a bunch of sticks and props him up a little tent. Well, he made a booth and he sat under it in the shade. 
till he could see what would become of the city. He was just waiting to see if God would judge them. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Now if you remember back in chapter 1, we came across this same word. God appointed a storm. Now we're going to see three times in this passage God's going to do some appointing. This is exposing his sovereignty, his control. He's going to appoint uh, a plant and a worm and a wind. God is just an amazing God. But notice what he does. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Here we go. I'm going to give you an air conditioner in the middle of the desert. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now, folks, listen. You've got to stop here. This is so humorous. He is so pouting because all these thousands of people repented and got on their knees before God, threw sackcloth and ashes on their head, and he was so angry that God didn't judge them, but he was so happy over this castor plant. Oh, I love my little bushy plant. Look how wonderful it is. It keeps the shade... Keeps, me, keeps the sun off my head. Oh, I just love this thing. And probably petted it and would look across at thousands of people and go, I hate every one of them. I hope God rains down fire like Sodom and Gomorrah and kills them all. But I love my little plant. And by the way, I've seen people before. This is just human nature. Our human nature, we can be so kind to everything except other people. Did you know that? We can love cats. How can you love a cat, by the way? I, I have two of them. I, I have fallen in love with one cat because he eats so many mice. I mean, his name is Savage. I love him. You live on a farm, you've you got to have a cat. But I've seen people be so nice to cats and dogs and animals and turn around and be as nasty as they can be to their neighbor. I've seen people even right out here at the stoplight have dogs over up on the dashboard of the st- jumping all over people while they're sitting in a red light. But how dare somebody sit at a light more than two seconds when it turns green? They're on the horn, honking the horn, waving their hands and you know other gestures that we won't do from the pulpit. But I mean, just impatient. This is human nature, by the way, folks. Let me tell you, the best way to draw out your human nature is to put you in a car in heavy traffic with with people who are selfish and like to cut over in front of you and get in front. Oh, you can see your true nature come out. I see mine about weekly. But that's who we are. And Jonah just loved this plant. Oh, he loved it. But notice what happened. When the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. And you know, can't you see God talking to this worm? Now here, worm, Jonah loves that plant. And what I want you to do all night while he's sleeping is I want you to chew right at the bottom of that plant. And I want you to have that thing work down and cut it off before he gets up in the morning. I want it gone. And that worm said, yes, sir, Lord, I'll get right on it. By the way, if you've ever grown a tomato plant and you've watched that thing grow and you've ever seen a cut worm, they'll get right down near the bottom and that little rascal will sit there and he'll just hack on that tomato and you'll get up one day and look and half of it will be drooped over. And all those pretty green tomatoes you've been eyeing, 
all of them will go bad. So this little worm appointed by God was just working away. Now, let's not miss this lesson. I should have put it in the lessons here. But for God's people, God does appoint blessings. But sometimes God appoints discouragements. Sometimes the Lord gives, and sometimes the Lord takes away. But irregardless, in the blessing or the discomfort, we are to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But boy, when this worm got a hold of that plant, and he attacked it. Notice, the worm attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind. A plant, a worm, and now the wind. And not just any wind, an east wind to come all the way across that desert. And you know, I was reading this week, some people say that the temperature gets to 140 degrees across that desert. I mean, you're talking about scorching hot wind. I mean, God was making this man uncomfortable. And by the way, there's no other time to get uncomfortable than when you don't have air conditioning. Karen and I went to Piedmont during a time when they had a system, a boiler system, that had to be changed from hot to cold. You couldn't just go to your thermostat and say, well, I want it to be uh, 70 on today because it would either blow out heat or it would blow out air conditioner. And during that time in Winston, sometimes it would get hot in the early spring and the cold would be gone, but then another cold snap would come. But boy, when the hot weather came and people didn't have their air conditioning, even Christians, oh my gracious, they were unbearable. Oh, it's so hot, I'm going to die. 80, 80 degrees, and they thought they were going to absolutely die. Complain, gripe. Are y'all there? I'm there. Griped and complained. The sun began to beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again. Just kill me, God. I'm so uncomfortable. Just take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. I mean, boy, he was a pouting, unthankful thing, wasn't he? But God said to Jonah, second question, you ready? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is that what you're pouting and so grouchy over? Now Jonah's finally going to answer him. And he said, can't you see? Yes, I do well to be angry and angry enough to die. Oh, he was stubborn. I mean, Jonah was the kind of kid his parent probably never spanked him. And he was probably the little boy that looked up to his mom and said, don't you tell me to do that, mommy. And God still loved him. God still loved him. I'm angry enough to die. Well, God's got another lesson for Jonah. And that's the lesson in compassion. Now notice what God tells him. Jonah, you're in love with that plant. Now, do you have a right to be in love with that plant? Did that plant bring you comfort and pleasure and protect? Do, do you like? Yes, Lord, I do. Now notice what God says, because he's going to give him a comparison here. And the Lord said, Jonah... You pity the plant. And by the way, you didn't labor for the plant. You didn't make it grow. 
and it came into being in a night and perished in a night. How could you fall in love with something that only lasted a few hours? Now, if you can fall in love with that plant in just a few hours, should I not fall in love with the broken people in Nineveh? Jonah, you think about that. Is it right for you to love that plant and me not to love those people? And you didn't even make the plant and I made those people? Now notice this. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, here God says that word great again, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Now, Let's talk about the 120,000 because I was preaching earlier and made that sound, you know. Most scholars believe that the 120,000 people here were children and that God was so compassionate toward these children that had no concept of God, neither their right hand nor their left, that he wanted a message to go there so that these children would hear about the grace of God and turn from their wickedness and not follow in the paths of their forefathers. And that's all he asked Jonah to do is go there and say God was going to judge if they did not repent because God had compassion on those children. And Jonah was so aggravated even when the children repented. Now, this is how people do calculations. They say if there were 120,000 children and each had a mother and a father, you multiply that, you get way over half a million people in the great city of Nineveh. And unexpectedly to Jonah, he didn't just go there and preach to the children, the king repented and so did the plowman. And so God asks, do you have a right to be mournful about this plant and I don't have a right to be mournful about these people that I created? And by the way, to show that God was concerned about the beef industry, he also said, and I'm concerned about the cattle. God has compassion. He is a compassionate, loving, gracious God. But sometimes his servants are unthankful, uncompassionate, self-interested people. That's us, by the way, folks. I'm, I'm right there with you. So what are some lessons that we can learn? By the way, I'm going to answer this question in just a moment. What happened to Jonah? You ever notice this? At the end of the book, he says, Do I not have a right to deal with these people? 120,000 that don't know right from and much cattle? It ends with a question. There's only two books in the Bible that end with a question. That's the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum. What, what, who does Nahum address? Nineveh. So now the big question becomes, did, did Jonah, was he changed? Well, I'll come back to that. Hang on just one minute, I'll answer it. Who wrote Jonah? By the way, I've had to read critical commentaries all throughout my life. Critical commentaries are the ones that do not believe that, you know, the author is the author and they try to find out the underlying sources, who wrote it, when was it compiled, and all that boring information that puts everybody to sleep. But people debated all through the years, who could have written Jonah? My answer would simply be this, Jonah wrote Jonah. It doesn't say that he wrote it, and there's not a lot of academic argument that Jonah wrote it, but I'm going to tell you why I think Jonah wrote it. Because Jonah wrote it as a changed man. 
And this is one of the evidences that God's Word is inspired because I think Jonah changed because he's the only one that would have known this kind of detail. And Jonah looks like a horse's heel. And God looks like the gracious, compassionate God of heaven. He finally got a proper perspective on God and his selfish self. And he portrays God as who he actually is. And he portrays Jonah as who he is. And by the way, you want to talk about power for inspiration, for this being the Word of God. What other man would write a biography of his life and paint himself as being this kind of a fella? Not many. You know, you read these modern biographies of people. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal. Boy, they polish them up. I mean, you've got to make yourself look like the bride of every wedding and the corpse of every funeral. It's all, you know, that's just how you do it. And Jonah paints himself as the true person that he really is. What are some lessons we learn in this story from the life of Jonah that, that make us broken? I mean, what was Jonah's problem? Jonah's problem was he wasn't broken. And when you're not broken, you're brazen. When you're not broken yourself... You can take that holy finger and you can point to whoever you want to point and you can say everything about them that's bad and you can run them in the ground and you can just make yourself up here, here, here. But let me tell you something. When you're, when you're broken, you always look at other people and you say, but by the grace of God, that's what I would be. The first lesson we learn from Jonah is that we have to realize that the heart of the problem is always the problem in the heart. Jonah's problem was not. It was not that God was compassionate. Jonah's problem was he wanted God to be what he wanted to make him. And Jonah thought, I'll just, if God doesn't give me my way, I'll pout. I'll run, I'll hide, I'll do whatever I can until God decides that He's going to let me be the fourth member of the Trinity. And if He doesn't give me a say-so and I don't get my way, I'm going to be mad. And if He doesn't give me my way, then I'll just tell Him to kill me. And by the way, God just doesn't work like that. Did you know that? You ever been around somebody that can't be manipulated? You know, boy, the dollar today can sure do some manipulation, can't it? One, one guy told me, he said, there's no problem money can't fix. Oh, yes, there is. Let me tell you some things money can't fix. One of them is it can't fix God because he doesn't change. I've been reading through Deuteronomy. God told the nation of Israel when they went in the land, they were to gather together people, and their judges were to judge people without partiality to face he said when you judge people you don't judge them by their face in other words you may know them but even though you know them you don't judge them because you know them you judge them based on the facts and then he told them and you don't fear man's face because the judgment is not yours it's mine you do what's right that's why being a judge or somebody has a hard place to be. Because, boy, we are partial people, aren't we? I mean, you know, we like to show partiality. God was not going to bend 
And by the way, there's a lesson to learn here. He's not going to bend for us either. You know, when we stand before Him, we might have a face before people that just shines and is glorious. And I mean, we look like the greatest saint on earth. But I'm going to tell you something. And you hear me closely here. And I'm preaching to myself first. When Almighty God evaluates our life, He's going to do it fairly. And He is not going to tip the scales because we manipulate Him. Not one iota. But Jonah's problem was not God. Jonah's problem was his own self. And I could go off on a whole sermon on this. A whole series on the real problem is the problem in the heart. But there's a second lesson, and I have to get on with it, and that is this. Unless we're broken ourselves, we will not have God's heart of compassion for other people who are in need. Unless we are broken ourselves, we will never have God's heart. The reason that Jonah did not want to go into that city is because he did not have God's heart of compassion. He wasn't broken. Sometimes we wonder why things happen to us in life, you know. You know and by the way, listen to this verse, Romans 8, 28. Because we know all things work together for good. Listen closely to those who love God. Not those who are loved by God, those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We're living our life, we love God, something happens in our life that we had no control over. We're promised that God's going to take that and work it for good. But I'm going to tell you something, sometimes God uses those things in our life to break us. And to show us how weak we really are. How dependent upon Him we really are. How broken we really are. I mean, I don't know what kind of eggshell you're living in. But can I promise you something? Life is like an eggshell. All it takes is one good hit and it will crack. That is how fragile... You and I, made in the image of God, really are. But when God allows us to crack and we are broken, we begin to look at people with different eyes. We begin to look at their needs and how God sees them. And then God moves us into action. And Jonah just wasn't broken. Can you believe that spending three nights in a whale's inn... The Holiday Inn and the Whale Express did not change Jonah. I mean, some people are hard. But maybe the grace of God at the end of his life is really what changed him. Well, there's a third lesson to learn, and that is this, that comfort and blessings should turn us towards the needs of others, not away Now, let me tell you what oftentimes blessings do to God's people. Not always. Please, please hear me. But sometimes in Jonah's case, he was so thankful for that little plant and his comfort that he could have cared less about anybody else. And sometimes in our life, we can set back in our blessings... And we can say, oh God, it's true that you have your hand upon me because look at all the blessings you've given me. 
And God, the, you bless me and me and I and I and I and on and on. And instead of saying, Lord, you've been gracious to me. Now help me see other people who need your compassion. Help me see other people that I can bless with what you've entrusted to me. You know, it's not the get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and forget about everybody else. It's how can you use me as a vessel and a channel to bless other people? And by the way, that's the kind of Christian God blesses. One that is a free-handed believer. They're, they're always looking for the needs of other people. That's a hard lesson, isn't it? Hard lesson. You ever stood up in a Thanksgiving service and somebody said, I want to thank the Lord for all the material blessings He's provided me with and then have somebody else stand up and say, well, what are you doing with them? You ever, had, you ever heard that? What are you doing with them? You're not supposed to say that. But you know what? That's a good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another question because we just came out of a missions conference. How concerned are we for Nineveh? How concerned are we? I'm going to tell you how you find out how concerned you are. What are you doing to get the gospel, not just here in the town, but overseas? Are we all involved in that? I mean, that, that really tells the tale, folks, about what we do with our blessings. We need to be broken, don't we? What is the fourth lesson? Well, the fourth lesson is simply this. We should be thankful that someone greater than Jonah was sent to rescue us. You know, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus made this statement, and I don't think it got pulled over, but Jesus was speaking about Nineveh, and he told the religious leaders of his day, he said, you know, in the, in the judgment, Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, I just asked this little question because it was so good. And I began digging. And this is not mine. This is a compilation from someone else. But it was so good I wanted to share it with you. Listen to this. How is Jesus greater than Jonah? Jesus is greater than Jonah in his person. For though both were Jews and both were prophets, Jesus was the very Son of God. He's greater in his message. Jonah preached a message of judgment, but Jesus preached a message of grace and salvation because of judgment. Jonah almost died for his own sins, but Jesus willingly died for the sins of the world. Jesus is greater in his ministry. Jonah's ministry was limited to but one city, but Jesus is said to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is greater in his obedience. Jonah's obedience was not from the heart. It was selfishly motivated, but Jesus always did not what pleased him, but what pleased his Father. And Jesus is greater in His love. Listen to this carefully. Jonah did not love the people he came to serve, but Jesus had compassion for sinners, and He proved this by dying for them on the cross. 
For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross and outside the city, Jesus asked God to forgive those who killed Him. But Jonah waited outside the city to see if God would kill those who he was unwilling to forgive. And then the man says this, Yes, Jesus is greater than Jonah, and because He is, we must have greater heed to what He says to us. Those who reject Him will face greater judgment because the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. But the real question isn't how Jonah answered God. The real question is how you and I today answer God's question. Do we agree with God that people without Christ are lost? Like God, do we have compassion for those who are not like us and are without Jesus? How do we show our compassion to them? Do we have a concern for those in our towns where there is so much sin and so little witness? Or do we run from them and go to our own Tarshish? Do we pray that the gospel will go to people in every part of the world and are we helping to send it there? And do we rejoice when sinners repent and trust Christ as Savior even if they were our greatest enemy? All of these questions and more are wrapped up in what God asked Jonah We can't answer for Him, but we can answer for ourselves. What makes us not broken? I heard a poem, and I want to read it to you this morning. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend... I brought my broken dreams to God because He was my friend. But then, instead of leaving Him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched the back and cried, How could you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. What are you hanging on to today? What is it that you're hanging on to that keeps us from really being broken? And whatever that is, we need to lay it at the feet of our Savior because He's great. Father, this morning we thank You. We thank You for Your blessings. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. And, oh God, I ask this morning that the chains of bondage that keep us from our brokenness to be mended by You, whatever we keep hanging on to, Lord, help us to let loose of the grip and to not be like Jonah, but to be more like Jesus. 
because it's him that we give praise and honor to. But we thank you for putting a story like this in the Bible to tell us who we truly are. And for that, we are so thankful. And we bow before you this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.